I'm going to read to you from the Old Testament, the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And now in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So today I want to talk about God's house and your house. God wants this house to be full of his presence and peace. And God wants the same thing in your house. You know, God established two institutions in the beginning, marriage and the church and marriage came first. Because we can't have solid and strong churches and have broken families. Are you listening to me? So we not only need revival in the church, get ready for revival, we not only need revival in the church, we need restoration in our households. So what I'm saying to you is, there is a connection between the church life and the home life. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul compares the relationship between a husband and wife to Christ and the church. And the church is called the bride of Christ. Not only that, but the Bible says that as a Christian, you are joined to the Lord in the same way that a man and women are, a woman are joined in marriage. In fact, in Ephesians 5 verse 32, in the Passion Translation, it says, marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty. So that means marriage is not a man-made idea comes from heaven. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and His church. So the way Christ loves the church is to be the way that husbands love their wives, and all the wives say, mm -hmm. but Get ready, men. And the way that the church is submitted to Christ's authority is to be an example for every wife to recognize and respect her husband. It's getting a little weaker. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. So God intends that your home would be a reflection of Christ and the church. Your family should show the world what it's like to be in the family of God. Amen. 
Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, by the Spirit of God, Paul lists requirements to be a pastor. He uses the word overseer, but the overseer or elder is the pastor. And he says in verse 5, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So in other words, if you are not able to lead your own family, you cannot be a leader in God's family. Are you listening to me? It's real quiet today. It might get a little quieter. Hallelujah. Think about this, just a side thought, you know, maybe some that are here or watching online. The kind of father you are will be the kind of pastor you are. Right? See, there's all kinds of fathers. I don't want to, that's not really part of my message today, but there are, there are abusive fathers. There are, there are tyrant fathers. There are absent fathers, right? There's all kinds of fathers, also loving fathers, caring fathers, generous fathers. The kind of father you'll be at home, the kind of person you are at home is the kind of person you are here. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And while I'm at it, your first ministry, how many of you believe that God has called you to serve him some way in the ministry? Your first ministry is at home. Your first ministry is at home. What does it profit a man if he wins the world for Christ and loses his own family? That's real quiet today. I'm going to have the sound booth play some amens. Help me out here because I do need some help today. I know a pastor who is a wonderful Bible teacher. Uh, he's, he's gifted, called, anointed. He is a, a, a kind and gentle person, a devoted believer. And when his children were young, he was constantly on the road, ministering, preaching, holding meetings in different churches. But today, most of his children don't even go to church. Why? Dad was never in the house. So now they make it a point to make sure they're not in God's house. Your first ministry is to your family. When my children were smaller, I, you know, I remembered so distinctly praying for them. And I, and I told the Lord, I'm not going to sacrifice these kids on the altar of my career. I made it a point when we would go back to America to visit different places to itinerate. I could have traveled nonstop. I could have gone to more places. I, there could have been more, you know, resources and finance to come in, but I made it a point. No, 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 no. My first priority is these kids. We're going to, we're going to spend time together. We're going to do fun things together. We're not just going to, you know, cast out devils and intercede for the nations. We're also going to go to the, well, we really do a lot of that for the kids, but we're going to go to the park. We're going we're gonna to go to the beach. We're going to go shopping. We're going to have fun, right? Sometimes they didn't want to have fun. And I said, no, you're going to have fun. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. I realize there are many demands in life. Sometimes you feel like you're being pulled in a thousand different directions but men especially, you must make time for those kids. And some of you that are single, 
I'm telling you now, you must make time for those kids, especially in the early formative years of their life. And I know that's harder because that's usually when you're most under financial stress, but you must make time. Remember, no businessman on his deathbed confessed, I wish I had spent more time at the office. <laughs> they said, I wish I'd spent more time at home. Are you listening to me? However, on the other hand, Jeppy, I need those amens a little louder from you. On the other hand, many parents push their kids to excel in school, to do well, you know, on their exams, but they do not insist that their children attend church and join the youth group. In fact, they will miss church because they have exams or have to study for exams, but they, 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 they will never miss school. They, oh, I remember one time. Oh, I could preach another sermon right now. I remember one time that I had to drive my own kids when they were smaller to school, and that was usually somebody else's job. And so they're, they're, I'm driving, da 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 and they're saying, Daddy, jabo, jabo, you know, come faster, jolty, you know, <laughs> hurry up. I'm like, what? They said, we have to get there. We have to get there on time. And I said, that's no problem. They said, no, 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 hurry. So I drove up there and like, you know, the, the big iron gates are slowly starting to close. And I saw some of you, but I didn't recognize you because you were driving like Mario Andretti in the Indianapolis 500, like Formula One. <laughs> furiously to get on time. And some of the same people who are driving with such determination to make it on time, they're chronically late for church. And you know who you are. Hallelujah. So the kids get good marks, maybe a good job, but they don't know God. And in the final analysis, my friends, it does not matter how much money you have if you don't know the Lord. Let's go a little further. <clears throat> Church is not recreation. Church is not something we do because there's nothing on TV this morning. Church is not optional, not for a true Christian. Well, you should be smiling. You're here, right? Just look at that empty chair next to you and go, <laughs> amen, praise the Lord. When I was growing up, our family lived down the street from the church, literally just one block. I mean, I think there was like maybe uh, one, two, three, four, five, maybe five or six houses between my house and the church. And my parents specifically chose that house so it would be easy for us to go to church. And rain, sleet, or snow, we were there. Once in a while in, in, in Virginia, you know, maybe once every three years or so, we might get a heavy snowfall in the winter, and there might be, be uh, two feet of snow or something like that, and nobody can drive their cars. It didn't matter. You know, Bob and Sylvia and the three kids, or, or two kids at that time, just trudging through the snow with the wind blowing up our nose and everything like that. 
And we made it to the church because it's only one block away. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, <clears throat> let's move back to Dimapur. <laughs> well, I'd really like to attend Spirit of Faith Church more often, but sometimes it's hard to get an auto. Then move closer to the church. Oh, that's, that's extreme. I mean, I mean, that's just, that's just, that's not reasonable. Well, some of you would move halfway across the country to make a few more bucks. You'll go anywhere for gold and nowhere for God. And you wonder why the Lord isn't prospering you. Matthew 6.33 doesn't say, seek the kingdom of God in your spare time. It says first, first, that means most important. It comes before anything else. It's before, it's before school. It's before career. It's before recreation. It comes first. Seek first. Come on. Seek first. And part of that has to do with showing up in God's house. Amen. If God seems like a stranger in your house, it's probably because you're a stranger in his house. Come on. It's real quiet in this Presbyterian church. Come on. Hallelujah. However, you can all sigh a, a sigh of relief right now. However, we need more than blessed meetings. We need blessed marriages. Some believers perhaps would say, well, you know, Brother John, I, I love coming to church here. I mean, maybe some wouldn't say that, but some would say, I love coming to church here. I mean, you know, during those services, I feel so free and so blessed. Oh, glory. But they would also say, and I hate going home. <sighs> I don't even want to go back to my house. Too much drama. Too much tension. But just as the church should be radiant with God's presence, your home should be a sanctuary. I said your home should be a sanctuary. God's house should be just like your house. Amen. A few years ago, we had a guest speaker from abroad, and um, he came to my house for lunch. And as he was uh, getting in the vehicle to leave, he turned to me and he said, there's just, there's just a peacefulness about this place. He was, you know, with his hand, he motioned toward like our compound, the house. There's just a, a peacefulness in this place. And I explained that, well, of course, we're, my home is, you know, about five minutes, 10 minutes from here, you know, that we're away from the town and, 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 and removed from all the clamor of traffic, you know, and that type of thing. And he said to me, no, 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 no. He said, that's not it. He said, I can sense God is here. That's a wonderful testimony. Now, I don't know if, if he had come the next day, whether he would have felt that or not. There are ups and downs, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I think people say, the devil's here. But anyways, <laughs> but that's a wonderful testimony. And that should be everybody's testimony. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, if you're a young person, how many of you are young people? Some of you raised your hand. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, um, if, you're a <laughs> if you're a young person... 
living with your parents, you probably don't have as much control over the culture of the home. Even still, even still, young people, you can still be a godly influence. I believe even if, you know, even, you, you know, you're, you're maybe in your, your 20s or, 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 or something like that, you can still be salt and light in that home, and you should be. But one day, you will have your own family. And maybe now you're complaining about how bad things are, oh, the, the hatred, the strife, the lack of love. Just make sure your children don't say the same thing about you. Amen. And even if your childhood was a toxic environment, something unpleasant, something hurtful, your children can be raised in an atmosphere of God's love. In other words, maybe you didn't come from a good family, but a good family can come from you. Amen. And think about this. For a lot of people here, perhaps your parents were also raised in a very difficult home. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of, you know, alcohol, and maybe there's a lot of strife and a lot of tension, a lot of hatred, things like that. Maybe, and maybe that's all your parents, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody in particular, but maybe that's all your parents know. That's, for them, that's normal, you see. But that cycle that downward cycle can stop with you. You can be the one to reverse the curse. Hallelujah. The sins of the fathers do not have to be passed on to the children. Glory to God. So young people, determine today, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that I should have said that a little louder so that you could hear it because obviously it did not register. I believe young people and even not so young people, you should say today with Joshua, I'm talking about Joshua in the Bible, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you believe it? How many of you believe it? All right, then don't marry some ungodly person. Well, he's got a gypsy. One day that gypsy's going to break. <laughs> Well, you know, he's not really a Christian. I mean, he, he's a Christian on paper, but, you know, not in heart. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a lot of money, and I think it'll be okay if I marry him. If you marry a sinner, you're going to have problems with your father-in-law, Satan. Amen. Praise the Lord. Every child deserves to be raised in a family where the members genuinely, affectionately care for one another. Children who grow up in broken homes are disadvantaged in life. Statistics indicate that children of divorced parents are 50% more likely to develop health problems. 50% more likely to develop health problems. Teens who are raised by a single parent are 300% more likely to need psychological help. Children of divorce are twice as likely to commit suicide. 
No wonder God said in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, in the New King James Version, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. However, he did not say he hates the divorcee. He said he hates what divorce does. And the greatest victims in a divorce are the children. Are you listening to me? That's why, if nothing else, I strongly recommend that you make every effort to stay together with your spouse. You might say, but we hate each other. We just can't stand each other. But for the sake of the children, do it. For the sake of the children. Do you want your children to go through life being handicapped? You know, if your child had a physical handicap, like he was unable to see, you know, unable to walk, you, you, would, you would feel compassion on that child. You'd feel pity on that child. You might even pray, God, why, why was my child born like this? The child who comes from a broken home has a greater handicap. He has an emotional handicap. Right? So that's, that's not something we want. However, through the ages, the church has dealt harshly with those who have been divorced. Listen to me. God said, I hate divorce, but often the church has dealt very harshly with people who've been divorced. Often the first reaction of the church is to say, God hates divorce, so out you go. We just expel that person from our midst. Well, the Bible also says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, that God hates a proud look. So why don't we say, ah, I saw that proud look, out she go. There's a lot of other things that the Bible says God hates, like those who sow discord among brethren. So why don't we say, up, oh, out she go. See, there's a lot of things we, 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 we overlook, we tolerate, we say, well, we'll pray for our brother, you know, let's try to help our brother, he just needs more of the word. But when it comes to this, we just strike their name from the list. And I realized that small wars have been fought over this issue. But I think it might be helpful just take a moment here to take a closer look at what the Bible says. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Are you still here today? I said, are you still here today? Amen. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? It would be helpful for us to understand why the Pharisees asked this question. Notice it says they were testing him. They were testing him. So that means they were not sincerely seeking answers. They were trying to discredit him. They were trying to get him caught in his words so they'd have something to accuse him of. And you have to remember, John the Baptist was imprisoned for criticizing Herod for taking his brother's wife. Lost his head. 
So they're trying to get him in trouble right now. Also this, just to help you a little background, Jews in the first century were divided into two schools of thought, two like denominational views concerning divorce. One group said this, that a man can divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. If he just wakes up one morning and he doesn't like her, or she burned the toast at breakfast, whatever, he can divorce her. But then others said, no, the only reason you could legally, I'm talking about the law of Moses, the only way you could legally divorce your wife is because of infidelity. But the problem with that is, according to the law, the adulteress is to be stoned to death. So how does that work? So that's why they're asking him this question. So it's interesting to see how he answered it. He said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus referred to God's original purpose in creation. And God never intended that marriage would be a temporary arrangement. So uh, my driver's license, I have a driver's license for Nagaland. My driver's license expired. And so my wife and I, uh, we went to the uh, uh, transportation office, DTO, whatever, and uh, to renew my license. And... um, it's kind of a process. And anyways, <laughs> someone was kind enough to help us. So um, anyways, I'm getting my new license, but it expires in one year, right? But when I got married, there was no place on the marriage certificate that says valid until this date. <laughs> Some of you men have thought about writing that on the marriage certificate, sign until December 31st, 2024. No, 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 it's, it's for life. And so, young people, you don't get married thinking, well, I'll try this. You, you don't try it. It's not like a pair of shoes you slip on in the store. You don't try it. It's a lifelong commitment. It's real quiet. Praise the Lord. I, I can't tell you how lonely I feel about this. I might throw this microphone too right now. Hallelujah. It's true. Amen. And notice this scripture. It's going to get even quieter right now. Notice this scripture. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. We have marriage problems often because we just disregard God's word. We just, we just, well, just, we just dismiss it. Why? Because we think we know more than God. Write it down. You got your notebook, write it down. I say this all the time. Go ahead and write it down. Get out your pen, write this down. Are you ready? God is smarter than you. I said, God is smarter than you. Some of you will find that hard to believe. It's true. Well, you know, uh, we'll live with my parents for a while, and then later we'll get our own place. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say, therefore, a man shall be joined to his wife, and a few years later, he'll get his own place. Huh? 
You cannot have your mother and your wife living under the same roof. You're asking for trouble. I speak from experience. You're asking for trouble. You cannot have the two women who love you the most sharing the same house. Maybe a day or two, but even then, that's pushing it, buddy. I don't even think they can share the same compound. There are many marriages, especially in this part of the world, that fail. They have lots of trouble, constant strife. Why? The wife wants to have a happy marriage, but she's being constantly criticized by the monster-in-law. It's unscriptural. It's not scriptural. Are you listening to me? Young people... If you do not have a place of your own, away from your parents, then this church will not marry you. Your name is power. Come on, praise worship team. I need some help right now. Your name is healing. Your name is life. That's what the Bible says. A man shall leave. If you're not ready to leave, you're not ready to cleave. That's why marriages crumble. You're thinking, oh, I'm fine. Praise the Lord. My wife cooks for me, cleans for me. But but share her heart is becoming more and more bitter because of all of the pressure she's under because of your mom. And I know you love your mom. I'm not going to abandon my parents. Nobody asked you to do that. But if you cannot cut the apron strings, you're not ready for marriage. I don't care if you are 50 years old. Well, uh, Brother John, um, excuse me, you don't understand our culture. God does. He's not, in my Bible, am I, is, is, my, is my Bible different than yours? I don't have a Naga Bible. Uh, someone, someone give me a Naga Bible, please. If you have a Naga Bible, bring it up here. Is it written differently in your Bible? Is there like a little footnote at the bottom of the page? Aloshe. <laughs> Except those from Nagaland. If you're from Nakaland, no problem. No, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. So because you disobey God's word, you create your own problems. It's not even really your mother's fault. It's your fault. Amen. Let's go on. Verse 7, Matthew 19, verse 7. They, back to the Pharisees, remember they asked Jesus a question. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Good question. Why? Okay, let me, let me, let me answer that question for you. This is the, they're talking about the Old Testament law, okay? Giving their wives a certificate of divorce was for her benefit. It was not for the man's benefit. It was for the woman's benefit. Why? Because under the law, we're not under the law, but under the law, if she had that certificate, she could not be shunned by society. In fact, she's free now to remarry. Deuteronomy 
You don't have to turn there, but I'm telling you, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 and 2 says, the only thing it says is she's not all, if she marries another man and then gets divorced from him, she can't go back to the first husband. That's the only thing it says. But that means she's free to remarry now. Now, friends, here's my argument. I'm not, I'm not arguing in favor of divorce. I'm saying that sometimes we haven't treated people who've been through a, a divorce fairly or very lovingly. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? That was the law. We're not under the law. We're living under grace. Yet often the church has treated people who have been through divorce, they've just been rejected. Hmm? And, and, and of course, they're forbidden to remarry. Under the law, they could remarry. Notice verse 8. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Listen to me very carefully. Like I said, small wars have been fought about these things. There is a big difference between the permissive will of God and the perfect will of God. There's a big difference between God, what God will permit you to do and what God really wants you to do. See? It is God's best that you work out your differences and mend your troubled marriage. That's God's best. That would be, that would be the ultimate. That would be his ideal, that you work out the troubles in your marriage. May I give this to you? If your loved one, your, your relative, your child, if your loved one had terminal cancer, and the doctors say, oh, we, we've done all we can do, and we don't have any, anything else we can do for this person, what would you say? Would you say, well, ah, there's just no hope, so take a revolver and put a bullet through his head? Why go on any further, right? No. Who, would, who among us would, would do a thing like that? No, no, no. We would say, well, well, if this doctor can't help us, maybe we'll go somewhere else for treatment. We would do all that we could within our power to help that person recover. And as a Bible-believing Christian, we would pray fervently that God would undertake. So here's what I'm saying. If your marriage is in the ICU, why would you say, huh? There's no hope, so I'm leaving him. If God can heal the sick, if he can raise the dead, he can heal your marriage. But you need to do all that you can, all the, because that's God's best for you. Real quiet today. Hallelujah. Anybody out there? Not really. Well, I'm here. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's true. Do, do all that you can. Now, naturally, it takes two people to have a good marriage. It only takes one person to have a bad marriage, but it takes two people to have a good marriage. Hmm? Both the husband and the wife have to agree to work together to improve their relationship. May I say this to you, some of you that just got married? The first seven years are the worst, in my opinion. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but... Thus saith Pastor John, the first, the first seven years are the worst. If you can make it through the first seven years, statistically, your chances of staying married greatly improve. In other words, most of the trouble hits you in the beginning. 
And it doesn't take long, does it? The day that you say, I do, it starts happening. And, and, and people, oh, I could give you a lot of, I don't want to take too much. But people are not honest when they're like dating, courting, you know, interested in that person. They're not honest, are they? How many of you found that out? Don't raise your hand. How many of you found that out? That's true. When you saw him, he was just so kind and considerate, and he brought you flowers every day, and he complimented you, and just, you know, just told you how wonderful you were. He opened the car door for you, and, and all that kind of thing. And then, then, then you get married, and off comes the disguise. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> Now, let me tell you the rules of the house. I'm the king, you the slave. <laughs> You're like, ah, what happened? What happened? Right? And you like the time we, we, we'd just been married, I think, less than a year. And we drove up in our car to some, some I think, some place to eat. And we pulled right up to the front of the, of the restaurant. And I got out of the, my side of the car, walked up to the front door to go in the restaurant. And I looked back, and she's still in the car. She's waiting for me to open the door. <laughs> and I was like, you got two hands. You can open the door yourself. <laughs> Mar marriage brings like a, a sea change uh, to your thinking. Your whole there is a built-in maturity factor. I guess it's a little premarital counseling for some people. There's a built-in maturity factor in marriage. See, when you're single, you can hide all that stuff. You're in a bad mood. You just go in your bedroom, pull the blanket over your head, lock the door, and don't come out for like three or four days. That doesn't work when you're married. <laughs> that doesn't work very well when you're married. When you're single, you just irritated everybody. Just get in your car and go to Shalong. I'll come back when I want to come back. That doesn't work very well when you're married. She calls the police. They come after you and they arrest you. <laughs> Here comes the undergrounds. I mean... <laughs> It forces you to confront your own immaturity. You don't know how selfish you are till you get married. Young people looking at me like a, like, like, like a dog staring into headlights of an oncoming train. You don't know how selfish you are till you get married. Why? Because there's someone constantly reminding you, you're selfish. <laughs> It forces you to confront your own insecurities, your own weaknesses, all of that stuff that's conveniently hidden on Sunday morning. It comes to the surface. And the real person emerges the day after the wedding. Oh, I could preach another sermon. I could preach five sermons right now. Just a thought, you young people. You see her, and she's just so sweet and like an angel. And, oh, yes, she's the one for me. And I, oh, my, my heart is just pounding and... Before you marry her, before you marry her, talk to her brothers. They'll tell you the truth. She's a witch. <laughs> That's all fake, buddy. <laughs> I, I hope not. I'm, I'm having fun with you. But, but I mean, they, they'll, they'll, oh, while we're on the subject. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. While I'm on the subject, young people, young man, before you marry her, take a good look at her mama. 
because that's how she's going to look in about 20 years' time. I promise you, 20, that's, that's her in 20 years from now. <laughs> Before you marry him, look how he treats his mother and his sisters. That's probably how he's going to treat you. It's real quiet here. Yeah, you looked at his gypsy and his bank account. You need to look somewhere else, sister. <laughs> you need to look somewhere else. Amen. It takes two people to have a good marriage. That's why it's generally a waste of time to give marriage counseling to only one person. You need the husband and the wife together. Because there's three sides to every story. Her side, his side, and the right side. When you, when you give counseling to the woman, and I've done this, she says it's his fault. She's smart enough to say, of course, I'm not perfect, because that's going to throw you off the track. But then she says, but, but it's all his fault. And she tells you every, all his shortcomings. And you think to yourself, you're married to Judas. You're, you're married to Satan himself. Wow. Then you meet the man. And he says the same thing. Well, of course, I'm not perfect. Just to throw you off. But it's all her fault. It's all her fault. And you think, she, he's married to Jezebel. Usually, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's usually both people to a degree. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are we still here? Yeah, we're still here. Notice this scripture, Romans 12, 8. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You want to be a peacemaker, don't you? You want, to be the, you want to be the kind of person that walks into a troubled situation and there's a calm. There's healing. There's restoration. Some people are not peacemakers. They're war makers. You know, we were fine. Then Brother Zamazama came to stay with us. Now we're getting a divorce. <laughs> Everywhere Brother Zamazama goes, people start fighting with one another. You know, something wrong with Brother Zamazama. <laughs> right? You don't want to be like that. As far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with everyone. You're having trouble living peaceably with your roommate. You think you can be married. <laughs> That's a laugh. <laughs> you just slam, you just shut the door and barricade yourself and don't come out, you know, till, till the next day. That doesn't work in marriage. Amen. Sometimes me and my wife had, had frosty situations. Sometimes she slept so far on the bed that way and me so far, you could park a tata between us. <laughs> How many times, you know, you're in, you're in the bed, you know, and you feel like a little romance or something. So you kind of lean over there and touch her and she goes, bow. <laughs> And you're thinking, what an evil woman. No, no, no. There's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a reason. <laughs> well, I better move on. I, I do need a ride home from this service today. <laughs> Amen. As far as it depends on you, live peaceable with everybody. So what I'm saying is if you can't live peaceable with other people, there's a good chance you'll never live peaceably with your spouse. Right? Some people argue with everybody. 
Some of you would argue with a road sign. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. <laughs> so it's no surprise that you have trouble. Amen. However, 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 sometimes it's not possible. I understand that. Sometimes in spite of your best effort, the other person leaves. I don't believe that's God's best. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't believe that's God's best. I'm, I'm encouraging you to fight it, work it through, do your best. But I do know that sometimes, even though you've tried your best, you've done all that you could do, that other person just left. When that happens, you have to move on with life, you see. You have to move on with life. I know of several cases. I know of several cases, and I'm just, I'm just trying to help people, okay? I know of several cases where uh, the person's spouse abandoned the marriage, just, just basically walked off, just, just left, and for no real reason. Well, should that person who's been abandoned by his wife or by her husband, should that person be ostracized forever? Do they have to wear a scarlet letter on their shirt when they come to, on their blouse when they come to church, a big letter, red letter D, divorced? And many times it wasn't even their fault. The other person just ran off or something like that. Let me go to verse 9. I can see that worried look on your face. Verse 9, Jesus said this, Matthew 19, 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Even in this verse, he still gives an exception to the rule, unfaithfulness. So Jesus said it's wrong to divorce your spouse so that you can be with another. He said it was a sin. But I also want to say this. He didn't say it was the unpardonable sin. He didn't say, no, there's no hope for you. You're going to hell. You're cursed. You know, no one is ever going to talk to you again. No, you know, just, we just throw you to the dogs. He, he didn't say that. And I think when, when, when a church member sins, what should our response be? I've never been happy with what we see in a lot of churches in this part of the world. You know, somebody, someone has done wrong. And so what do they do? Many times, and I hope they still don't do this, but they'll parade those people in front of the whole church and in front of everybody, they have to confess what they did. Yeah, I stole that pig. <laughs> I'm the pig thief. You know, and then they have to like say, Aloche, 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 and then maybe we'll pray for them and maybe, maybe now they can sit on the back row of the church. That's wrong. If we're going to pray to everybody who sinned up here, then everybody get in line. I said, if we're going to do that, then let's all get in line. I'll be first. We'll all get in line because we've all failed. Who here has never failed? Raise your hand. We'll give the altar call and get you saved. You're a liar. <laughs> all of us have failed. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that we should restore that person. And notice this, in a spirit of gentleness, not in a spirit of, of superiority. In all these matters, marriage, troubled in the marriage, even divorce and remarriage, I would say to you that James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 should be our guide. New Testament. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. So speak and act as those who will be judged. He means judged by God. How? By the law of Moses? No, he says by the law of liberty. Do you know what he's talking about? It's Christ's command to love one another. Live your life on Christ's command to love others as he loved us. So your words, your actions should be done from love. What is our marriage policy? To always walk in love. And it would be wise for all of us to be merciful. Why? Because one day you're going to need mercy. You know, don't kick a man when he's down. Don't kick a woman when she's down. It's so easy to like sort of vaunt yourself up and say, oh, I just can't believe this person did this. Oh, boy. Man, and, and he, he supposed, he's not following the word of God. He's not following the word of God. No, no, no. Well, it's so easy for you to say that until it's your turn. And I promise you, you can be tempted just as, just as sorely as anybody. So what would be smart would be show mercy. It's all right. I failed too. God will help you so that you can receive mercy. I'm almost done. Have mercy. (laughs) Notice again, going back in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, Jesus, they're talking about divorce, you see. And Jesus said, Moses permitted you to do that. Notice he said, because of the hardness of your heart. If we, want to be, if we want to have happy homes, we have to guard our hearts. Why do Christians get divorced? Well, here, here you go, because of hardness of heart. That means we must not allow anger or resentment to fester in our souls. Hmm? You know, when you get married, young people, The day that you get married, you should turn to your bride, the groom, and say, I just want to apologize. And if the person says, why? You could say, well, I haven't done anything yet, but I just want to go ahead and apologize for what I'm going to do. (laughs) Because I'm sure I'm going to fail. Because you didn't marry a perfect person. And don't act surprised. You're not perfect either. So be quick to forgive. Be quick. See, a lot of Christians, they forgive, but they hold on as long as possible. I'm going I'm to nurse this thing. I could, in fact, I could get a lot of mileage out of this. I mean, I could get a lot of special treatment from this. I'm going to hold on as long as possible. Maybe five years from now, I might think about forgiving you. That's not, that's not right. That's not right. You may feel you have the right to be offended, But you should realize that in the process, your heart will become hardened. And in the long run, what unforgiveness does to you is far worse than anything your spouse did to you. You don't want to be that person, the hard-hearted person with bitterness, just spewing out anger frustration. You you don't want to be that person. 
You don't want to become that, that person. So forgive. Forgive your spouse. Here we go, last verse. Yay, finally. Don't try to find it. Micah chapter 7, verse 19. By the time you find it, I'll be eating my lunch. Don't try to find it. Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. You know what? God doesn't go fishing for your forgiven sins. He doesn't, he doesn't try to dredge them up. Every time you talk to him, he doesn't reach into the ocean and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, I got one, I got one. Let me take a look at this. Some women say, I've forgiven. Oh, I forgive him. I forgave him. And when they get a little angry, they start pulling out the painful memories. I remember how you mistreated me back in 1984. I remember what you said to my mother last Christmas. I remember, you know, back, you know, in 1997 that you left me standing in the rain. It's amazing. They have this, they have this amazing total recall. It's, it's like supernatural thing. And then they'll say, of course, I've forgiven you, lying dog you. If you, have, if you have forgiven it, you need to move that away out of your mind. You need to pray for Holy Ghost amnesia. <laughs> I, I purpose in my heart not to even think about that ever again. Why? Because that's what God did for me. So the one without sin can pick up the stone first. We want happy homes. We want happy marriages so we can have a happy life and a blessed church. It takes a lot of patience. It forces us to grow. We'll have to believe God, and we'll have to have a lot of mercy. And you've come to the right place. I want you to bow your head with me right now.